Thank you to Foundation Devices for being a sponsor of this podcast. When it comes to beautiful, air-gapped, open-source Bitcoin hardware wallets, this is a fantastic team to check out. Foundation Devices. Because I've come to realize it's not just about the hardware. The hardware can look great. It can be open source, it can be secure, but you also have to know the ethos of the team behind it because they're the ones who are going to offer you firmware upgrades. They're the ones who can change the functionality of your device. You can have a hardware wallet that does exactly what you need, but if the team starts to develop in a direction you don't like, like some would say Trezor and Ledger have started to do over the past year or two, it's not easy to make a change. You know, but the team at Foundation They'll tell you right to your face. They're focused on more than just your Bitcoin. They're focused on your sovereignty and your freedom. And that's why I support them. And I appreciate them supporting me with this podcast. You can check out Foundation and their Passport Bitcoin wallet at foundationdevices.com. This week, I'm joined by the one and only Bruce Fenton. He's an OG Bitcoiner, we'll say. He's been involved with Bitcoin for 11 years. He's the host of the very prestigious Satoshi Roundtable annual gathering. Bruce also ran in the Republican primary for the U.S. Senate last year in New Hampshire, which we're going to talk a lot about. He's been in the business of securities for 30 years. He's CEO of Chainstone Labs. He's the owner of Watchdog Capital, which is an SEC registered broker. He does it all. This guy does it all. He's jack of all trades. Let's jump right into it with Bruce Fenton. Bruce, thanks for jumping on with me. Thanks for having me. I've been wanting to talk to you for so long. I mean, we've, we've caught up before, but, you know, I mean, lately you've been talking about Vivek Ramaswamy a lot, which I want to yes, get to. For sure. But first, I wanted to, the stuff I really wanted to ask you about was running for Senate, man. Because it's like, I'm so curious about how that changed your perspective on things you know with politics and just with the country and like has his life gotten back to normal or is it like permanently changed for you well you know a little of both i went i was lucky in that i had a good job to fall back on and was able to go right back to my normal life uh, a lot of candidates it, you know don't you know they they quit their job so they can run or something like that and they or they don't they have that option so i was lucky to be able to go back into my normal routine but yeah it did change me i th certainly think differently i think about politics a lot you know the um fellow who was my campaign manager works for my company now so you know we both <laughs> got kind of a phd in politics neither of us had been in politics before and you know we care about new hampshire because we have a lot of friends and we you know we made even more friends on the campaign trail a lot of the other people who were running for office other candidates for federal office my opponents this kind of thing uh we got to know all of the uh, you know, officials in the Republican Party and the governor and everything. So, uh, mm -hmm. and we learned a lot, you know, I learned a lot about politics. I learned a lot about, you know, what it takes to run. Uh, I, I, one of the reasons that I ran originally was just to kind of level up my skills. You know, I think biting off more than you can chew, doing something interesting like this, it's definitely, you know, when I, when I ran, I knew I was a long shot. I came in late, uh, you know, my opinions are not always mainstream. So there was a lot of factors where I knew it was kind of a long shot, but I said, well, you know what, if I run and lose, I will learn something. I'll be well positioned if I want to run again and I'll, I'll level up my skills. You know, I gave a couple hundred speeches. I got a lot better about 
kind of dealing with people and crowds and that kind of thing, uh, thinking on my feet, interviews, this kind of stuff. So I thought it was a great experience. You know, I learned a lot about politics, learned a little bit about myself and got to tour this great state of New Hampshire. So I'm glad I did it. So it didn't, uh, didn't jade you? <laughs> like it didn't make you more uh, skeptical of how the country's run or anything like that or, or what? A little bit, sure, in some ways. You know, one of the things, I pr probably the biggest disappointment was the realization that all the experts, because uh, I don't like listening to experts. Uh, I, 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 well, I shouldn't say that. It depends on the expert. You know, I really like to see evidence and I, and I don't tend to trust anything unless I experience it or unless I really, really trust the speaker. And uh, every, a lot of people said, well, hey, look, Bruce, you know, your ideas don't matter. All that matters is money. And I was a little naive on that. I said, no, come on, come on. I can reach the voters. People care. Like the whole country's a mess right now. Certainly people are going to care about ideas. But unfortunately, you know, this is very much Coke versus Pepsi. And if I came to you as an investor and I said, Chris, I, I got a new soda. It tastes even better than Coke or Pepsi. It's delicious caramel colored carbonated beverage, a sweet beverage. And we're, we're going to beat Coke and Pepsi because it tastes better. As a wise investor, you'd think that was crazy. You'd say, doesn't matter if it tastes better. <laughs> it doesn't mm -hmm. matter if it tastes better. You're not going to beat Coke and Pepsi. Nobody's sitting there saying Coca-Cola is where it is because it's the, absolutely the best soda in the whole world. You know, there's probably some grandmother somewhere who makes homemade soda that's better than, or some little uh, roadside stand that makes homemade sodas that are better. But it's all marketing. And the marketing companies know that down to the penny, what it costs them to market you to become a Coca-Cola customer. And the political parties, which are also very much like Coke versus Pepsi, also in the fact that they're not that different, you know, they know exactly down to the penny what it costs to get a vote. And it, it is marketing and it's a very well-tuned, they try and appear folksy, but it's a well-tuned, well-oiled, multi-deca-billion-dollar machine. Mm. And they have the marketing down to an absolute science. They know exactly who the voters are, how to turn them out, and many other factors. So uh, it really does just come down to the money, unfortunately. And uh, you can have great ideas and be a great speaker and everything else, but but rarely will it break away uh, from just spending and and almost nothing is enough to you know overcome the kind of spending that people spend in these races you know my uh, my opponent so i ran for the republican primary the person who beat me in that primary uh general don bulldock he's a friend of mine you know we're we're kind of all friendly the republicans um you know to the extent uh, the opponents can be uh but he was a good guy uh, one of the things that i respect most about him is he, he has an incredible work ethic he's a he's a former general i don't think he's slept in you know for a single day in the last 50 years you know he's the kind of guy who's up at four or five and he would work these crazy uh schedules he worked all day every day during the campaign and he made 350 appearances in new hampshire he went to every town almost twice he did appearance after appearance three appearances a day he met everybody the uh incumbent that he ran against maggie hassan who has a 98 percent similar record to elizabeth warren she did something like two appearances she wasn't even here in the state and it just didn't didn't matter she didn't need to play this game what do you need to wake up at six in the morning and go up you know, two hours away to go speak to a Republican town committee. Why do that when you can just have George Soros shower the the state with 
you know, television ads. And that's exactly what happens in these races, unfortunately. So I'd like to, you know, see that break broken away from, but, you know, lesson learned, uh, you know, I was naive, but that only happens once. If I ever run again, unfortunately, I'm going to just shake every single person down that I know. I didn't really raise money. In fact, I, I joked at the Bitcoin Miami. I said, don't, don't send me money. Stack sats. You'll do better for yourself if you do. <laughs> um, but if I ran again, uh, you know, I would run to win and I would be very serious about raising money because it's no pur purpose in, uh, you, know, you know, just running again and not, ha not having a plan to win, you know? Yeah. But can you raise the kind of money you have to raise if you don't have the the backing of um the people with the money i mean it's like well, see, catch 22 right trick. yeah that's the trick because it's it's a very establishment thing i mean i know more billionaires and more rich people than i don't know 0.001 of uh, i mean you know my whole career i've been in involved in money i met many 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 billionaires i worked in the middle east for huge pe firms I, you know I, my job was basically rubbing elbows with shakes and royals and then i got into bitcoin and, and a whole mess of my friends became extraordinarily wealthy and i've advised people and worked with people so i've been around people with money more than almost anybody you can think of so you would think it would be really easy for me to just make a few phone calls and raise the kind of money you need that's not the case for one thing you need is an extraordinary amount of money you know you you know i can i could call up my my rich friends and and raise a you know a couple bucks but Raising 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars is a is a whole nother story. Uh, really, the only way to get that kind of money is the big, big donors who put in five million at, 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 a, at, a, at a pop. And I don't there's, there's not a lot. Even the re wealthiest people, even billionaires don't just throw five million around. It's a very establishment kind of process. And again, it goes back to the these, you know, power players. You know, Mitch McConnell runs a huge pack that if you're aligned with mcconnell you know they can award you you know five ten million dollars for your race but obviously that's not going to happen to me i mean i openly criticize mcconnell uh so if you luck out and you know somebody like a Thiel or somebody who's who's really uh wealthy and who d is very generous with with the donating you know that could work but it's a pretty hard game you know even with wealthy friends it's uh you know i might be able to raise a couple million but that's not enough to to win these big federal races unfortunately it's it's like what what drew us to Bitcoin. I'm sure I can speak for you at, at, to some regard. You know, when it comes to this, what drew most of us was the fact that we're going to sort of create this flat structure where we don't have this power structure, where we don't have kingmakers, where we don't have um, people that can change the rules if they have enough money. You know, which is basically like a proof of stake system, right? But then you compare that to what you're talking about with the way that politics works. And I start to wonder, like, is there, first of all, do you think that, I mean, you can't possibly think this is a good way to do it, right? Uh, politically, like the, whoever has right. the most money crowns the kings, right? Like that's not good. Right, it's a terrible system. And it's sad, you know, now a lot of people say, they, they recognize the problem and they say, oh, well, what we need is more campaign finance reform. We need more rules and we gotta, you know, overturn Citizens United, which actually means, you know, changing the First Amendment. Or we need to do this or that, or we need to ban this group from donating or ban billionaires or something like that. I'm skeptical of any of those efforts because the rules are written 
by the people who are benefiting from this system. So we passed a bunch of campaign finance. Does anybody think McCain and Feingold, when they passed McCain-Feingold, were really just great Americans looking out for the truth? I mean, maybe they thought that at best, uh, but they were partisan hacks and they were part of the problem. So we had campaign finance and we just, it just created PACs and everything. And, and by the way, there's a whole mess of rules, but that's a very insider club. It's extremely difficult to figure out what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. Uh, it's very clear to the people you know, like Elizabeth Warren or Maggie Hassan, who are in this system, they have whole armies of consultants and people. There's a whole cottage industry, a multi-billion dollar industry, all these PACs and everything. And they have rules like the campaign can't coordinate with the PAC. And that's all nonsense. You know, they, they have their ways of coordinating. They've gamed this system so that, you know, the law originally said, oh, you can't camp, you can't coordinate. So everybody knows that now. So they have all these wink, wink, nod, nods, like, well, I understand you're coming to my event, wink, and you're not here on behalf of your pack, you know, but, uh, you know, and I know we can't share photos from our event. However, if you go to uh, brucefenton.com slash open source, you'll see some open source photos that you're allowed to use that you might want to use on your pack brochure if you want to. You know, right. this is the kind of thing that the, and then, the, you know, I didn't know how to do any of these games. I didn't have a pack. I didn't know how to do it. It all seemed like nonsense. I didn't I didn't have interest in it. And it, I found it opaque and frustrating. But the political system, people like Elizabeth Warren have absolutely mastered it. Everybody in her staff knows all the rules about who can talk to who and how you can do it. And, and all these people donating, they know where to donate it. And they do bundling you know you're 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 able to get a big mailing list and they collect checks and then they send the checks and there's all the it's just a big system and what it does it makes it harder for somebody like me as an outsider i came into this and all i knew is that you know you can go to jail for campaign finance stuff you know that's that's the main mm -hmm. thing so i look at this and i see you know very difficult i'm used to re reading securities regulations some of these finance regulations are even more difficult very difficult to figure you know how do we accept bitcoin how can we do this you know do you know who do i have to make sure i get aml from because you can't just take money i can't just put up a bitcoin address and say donate to bruce i have to know who that's coming from make sure it's not foreign that you, you have to be able to return things um people can donate you know double for your your primary and your race but you got to return it if you don't win the primary you know there's all these goofy regulations and it, and it made it quite difficult and i was i was really afraid i said all right i'm just going to be extra conservative. I'll spend my own money. I'm not going to worry too much about raising because the more you raise, the more careful you have to be. And then you and then you have to say, well, OK, I raised money and then I took my credit card from the campaign and I bought a bunch of staffers food. Well, did I bring my own food? What if I bought my kids food? Does that you know, am I going to get in trouble for so when in doubt, I just paid myself so I would right. avoid trouble. But that's not a good system because it it's very hard and opaque. Um, so the, the solution, I don't think, is more regulation or more efforts at fi campaign finance reform because the snakes will snakes on the swamp will just figure out a way around that. Uh, the solution is actually make government so small that it doesn't have anything anybody wants. So nobody bothers to hire a lobbyist because there's nothing the lobbyists can get. You know, that's the way to do right. it. Is, is, yeah. is really but how do you do that yeah. without yeah. doing the first thing? Right? It's like, it's insane. Exactly. It's so, it, it's almost like it's such a unique position to be in to understand how Bitcoin works and understand how um, that level of decentralization can be achieved. And, and then live in that world financially and then live in this corrupt political world that 
is the exact opposite. It's basically this totally corrupted crony proof of work system that's totally opaque in a lot of regards. And it makes you wonder, because uh, most people, I mean, 99% of people still, even if they have Bitcoin, they don't really appreciate why it's valuable, I think. You know, and I, but I feel like if we could ever get to the point where we could apply those principles to politics, I feel like we'd, we'd be going somewhere, you know, as opposed to just sitting in this corrupt morass of nonsense. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, one point on that is like, you notice in Bitcoin, people talk about ideas and especially the best conferences, the more technical ones, you know, like I, I'm not super technical, but I enjoy things like, you know, Baltic Honey Badger and, you know, where you go and it's, a, it's you know, Adam Back and, and 300 super nerds, um, you know, rather than the nothing against, you know, it's it's fun to go to the 10,000, 20,000 person conferences with Lambos too, but um, there's more meat and substance in these smaller technical conferences. Everybody's talking about ideas, you know, they're talking about Schnorr and privacy and BIP 300 and, and you know, how you're going to do different tokens and smart contracts on Bitcoin and very little talk about people. You go to a political event, you know, the old saying, uh, what is it? Small minds talk about people, big minds talk about ideas. You know, you go to a political event, everything's all like, oh, this person's chief of staff is this and this and this. And I've been in circles where I've hung out with the, the Davos World Economic Forum crowd, the World Bank, uh, and the epitome of all of it, if you watch Chernobyl on HBO, you know, there's these amazing scenes in the first, uh, uh, well, all through the season, I've only watched the first episode, but the, um, you know, the, the the way that the Soviets worked, where it's like, oh, the director general of the executive committee is going to talk to the other executive committee, who's going to talk to the deputy chief of nuclear regulatory affairs, who, and everybody's just terrified, like, oh boy. And I've, I've been in those same kind of rooms, not, not in Soviet uh, Russia about nuclear, but, you know, about banking and finance, you know, when I did some charity work, things like that in the Middle East, it's really uh, hilarious how these people talk. They're like, oh my goodness, the the so-and-so uh you know deputy undersecretary of the executive committee for the department of finance is coming and it's everybody's obsessed with people mm -hmm. and they're just spinning their wheels on nonsense and that's kind of what politics is politics at its worst is epitomized by what we saw with chernobyl and soviet russian and and maybe the the uh, complete opposite of that politics at its best is sort of lack of politics where nobody talks about any of this stuff and it doesn't really matter you're talking about the ideas instead so i think the world could learn a lot from bitcoin yeah and it's always been that way that's the thing like since the beginning of recorded history like people have been ruled by personalities basically you know it's like the yeah. personality plus the power you know and then you get this mutated that's why every president in the u.s is different right it's like you have the power and then it's the personality that's like this this um variable like and then you get this mutation right and it's always a different mutation and that's why every regime is a little bit different you know, and it's inconsistent and you never know what you're going to get until it's too late. And it's so imperfect. And it just makes you wonder with this technology and this new way of thinking that we like are privileged to have from Bitcoin. And it's still so early. Like it's like we clearly most people don't get it. But is there a future where that can have some impact? And I'm not even saying like full. I'm not I'm definitely not saying like blockchain government or anything like that. I'm just talking about the principles of it, like the yeah, 
You know what I mean? Like, it's like, and I also feel like they tried, like, I feel like the Constitution was an attempt at this based on the tech they had available back then. But it's like, I feel like we're we're revving up. I, I hope it happens in my lifetime, but I doubt it. But I feel like we're revving up towards this new way of approaching a constitution that could be more programmatic and more predictable and take the personalities out of it. What do you think? Is that, is that a hope that you think is realistic? Yeah, I hope so. You know, and, and we have to rest that hope in Gen Z, you know, they're, they're a generation. The healthiest thing about Gen Z is that they're very skeptical of centralized power. And because we're in kind of this fourth turning, a time of epic change, we're seeing old power structures of, you know, CNN and the New York Times being replaced by Joe Rogan and the World Economic Forum and the IMF being replaced by Bitcoin. And so we see this, but there is still something about this old style. And maybe it's in human nature, our tribal nature as humans, that there's always going to be people who looked to a leader. There's there's something to be said for a leader. And, and it's interesting in my case, because... You know, I started my career in the 90s and I was kind of like your classic 90s business person. You know, I wore a suit and I listened to books about self-help and I went to Tony Robbins seminars on how to become a great speaker. And a lot of those, that kind of style is kind of campy now. You know, Mike Pence, I met him on the campaign trail. He's the absolute master of that. I could tell you stories about Mike Pence when he met us. He, well, real quickly, he, he met me and then three days later, he recognized me out of a crowd and he said a nice thing to my kid, specific to me. He said, oh, I hope you're enjoying your train set. He just barely, he, one little tiny line he had heard three days earlier out of 300 people. And I'm like, wow, no wonder the guy, because I don't agree with his politics. I'm not a Mike Pence fan, but I'm like, wow, this guy has mastered, absolutely mastered the art of the 90s style politics. But look at him in the polls now. That kind of style is gone, you know, and I think especially Gen Z, who is barely voting now, but Gen Z, they're not impressed by that. They're not going to look at, you know, they're not going to look like their grandparents and their and their boomer parents uh, and say, wow, that guy has a blue suit with a red tie and he's clean shaven. He must be trustworthy. You know, that that's an old uh, ideology from a from a different time and hopefully they're going to move more towards the cypherpunk way you know if, if anything one weakness of my campaign was be, you know because the average voter in new hampshire is 79 years old for the primary i was probably too cypherpunk you know i was i had an unbuttoned shirt and a t-shirt and i was kind of casual and originally when i first started if you look at my race in the first few months, I was like very anti-establishment. I was just like resistant to anything. I had like a very non-campaigny website. I didn't do any of the, I said, look, I'll meet people, I'll meet voters and I'll talk to press. That's it. I'm not doing any other games. I'm not doing any other nonsense. And in some ways it was refreshing. And I, I was glad with how I ran the campaign, but in other ways it was maybe too cypherpunk for a mass market audience because there is a lot of people who uh, are are from even you know still from that kind of 90s mold so i think the balance will be interesting as we go forward and hopefully we move towards your vision of a of a more you know kind of cypherpunk democracy um to find the right balance of you know where do figureheads fit in there and and can we have because i feel like we do need leaders in some way and if not if we if we all are just cypherpunks and i think you and i are similar in some respects of kind of like our, the, our mannerisms and our way of interacting and everything you or i could either could easily you know, have launched some coin and become a figurehead and become some some variation of a Richard Hart and made a bunch of money and gotten into a lot of trouble and hurt a lot of people. I mean, it's not a hard thing to do. 
so if if but if but if everybody is kind of saying like hey i'm not playing the game i'm not going to be talking about people i'm going to be talking about ideas well then a sam or a, a, a richard hart can can easily come in and and co-opt people who haven't internalized that yet there's a lot of people who are like wow he had tony blair and bill clinton at his event he must be for real so mm -hmm. they gave sam billions of dollars so you you know I, I and i've thought about this a lot with myself you know i i resist it it's interesting if this was 15 years ago i would have been i, I probably would have quadruple the following in crypto Twitter, you know, like, like if I was a different point in my life, I would have been given speeches and, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk and doing all the things for eyeballs. But as I got mature, more mature, and I moved on in life, those things became less important to me. And at my age now, and where I am now, I think of a lot of those things as silly. I'm like, that's just silly, like putting on a suit and putting, you know, doing a song and dance. That's silly. I want to talk about important stuff, like how we can change the world, how we can decentralize. I don't want to be sitting there, you know, doing some some silly speech about, you know, you know, you, you, America and the children, you know, things that have no substance. So. Mm -hmm. There's some balance in there. I think we, you know, maybe we need a new kind of leader uh, that if I could figure out how to do it, I would. But I think it's probably going to be somebody in Generation X who kind of uh, comes forward as, you know, and and galvanizes people and is somebody you can look to and say, this is somebody I'd follow. But they're also in, in favor of those ideals of, you know, tearing everything down and putting power with the people. Maybe that's what the founders did. Yeah. Yeah. So much of what you're talking about just resonates with the experiences I'm having in crypto lately and, and, and politics is the same thing. I like to say it boils down to whether or not you're willing to monetize the trust that people are putting into you, you know, and that you're asking them to put into you, whether it's warranted or not, you know, and usually it's not like, usually if a, another human that you don't know is asking you to trust them in some regard, whether it's a politician or um, a CEO or whoever it might be, you usually shouldn't be trusting them because like you said earlier, like you don't, you shouldn't trust what you can't examine, what you can't know uh, yourself, you know, but it's like throughout crypto, throughout politics, throughout every aspect of the world. This isn't this capitalism though. Like I, I keep going back and forth on this. Isn't this like a flaw of capitalism in a way? Because capitalism naturally gravitates towards this, like the 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 carnival barker, you know, that's kinda like selling you stuff, you know, trying to extract maximum value from you. And I I, I it makes me question my own principles once in a while. Like it is unbridled capitalism in this way really the best route or are we heading towards a, a place where people are just gonna be putting their trust in whoever can spend the most money to convince them of something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you can, you, you know, you can um, basically sp spend your way into trust uh, and mm -hmm. trust can be a good thing. You know, Naval has a neat uh, piece that he did about, you know, investing in long-term people, long-term people in long-term games, it's called. And, um, you know, basically align with people that are going to be around for a while. And that's sort of a form of trust, you know, so trust can be important. There's probably nothing wrong with that. And maybe it's all part of the system, but I do have some moral struggles sometimes to try to figure out, uh, you, you know, what, what the proper, to me, self-promotion and stuff seems so cheesy now. And I was so good at it. And I did a lot of it when I was younger. I used to go around giving financial seminars and that's what my career was for a big chunk. But I just felt like I moved 
beyond that. There was one point in, uh, I don't know, one of the first big bull runs where I had kind of life-changing money and I'm like, I'm never wearing a suit again. I hadn't, I haven't followed that. I haven't worn a suit a few times. And now I'm, now I'm actually thinking suits might be good. You know, maybe you don't want the look like the, well, which is funny because it's right back to trust again. You know, Sam went and had this like, oh, look at me. I'm wearing t-shirts and, and sloppy shorts when I'm meeting the the you know former world leaders and and then you look at it and say well <laughs> yeah but look at look at what a clown he was you know maybe there's something to be said for it um you're just a boomer yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know but but part of me is like you know do do you especially if you want to make change you know do do you have like there is some aspect of that kind of 90s style politician if i if i were to run again i would probably be even less I don't want to say left cyberpunk in my ideals and my ideas. I'm going to stick with my principles. I'm very, very strong on my principles. But my marketing would probably be more, uh, you know, along the spectrum with me at one end and Pence on the other side. I'd probably play a little bit more of those stupid games, you know, things like parades, for example. All the political concerns. Oh, Bruce, you've got to go to the parade. I'm like, what, what the heck does a parade have to God. do with anything? I'm trying to save this country from evil and tyranny. I don't care about the stupid parade. I think parades are silly. They're a waste of time. But that's what every politician has to do. So there's some some amount of game playing. And, uh, you know, I think that is some part of humanity. And no matter how successful we are with a cypherpunk decentralized res revolution, there still is going to be leaders and there's also nothing wrong with leaders. If you have good leaders, people that you really, really respect, where you look at somebody and you say, wow, this is a man or a woman that I would like to follow. That can be a good thing. But those are, those are rare examples. Now it's, it's hard to do that. Yeah. It's like with the presidential um, primaries and stuff, like with DeSantis, you see him out there throwing baseballs and, Vivek out there rapping Eminem, you know, and it's, I go back and forth on it. Like, I understand why he needs to be at the state fair. I get it. I understand you have to, you have to find places to speak to people uh, directly. But then you look at like Trump, who sort of bucked that, a lot of that, right? Like, if, mm -hmm. if Trump did one thing right, I would say to a certain extent, he, he bucked the whole, like, I'm a politician. I'm going to go be in a parade. I'm going to be kind of not who I actually am. Because when you're talking about marching in a parade, that's not you, right? right? But you're talking about doing it just because it's expected from a politician, you know? And it's like, then you got Trump out there who's like, screw all of this. I'm just going to do whatever and call everybody fat and tell them they're idiots and see what <laughs> happens. You know, yep. so it's like, what is the winning recipe? It almost seems like people want that real reality thing except would he have even ever had that if he didn't have all the money and all the fame and everything that came before yeah. he became president so it's like you need this special witch's brew of just serendipity almost to be able to be thrust into that spot right and like nobody yeah. has that it's so rare yeah it is very rare i mean even these i mean you look at people like chris christie and mike pence who are lifelong politicians with a lot of money and a lot of power and a lot of recognition they they have honed their skills over a long long time and they're getting crushed in this i mean this is the presidential primaries in, and the election is a very very big deal it's the kind of one of the ultimate games with the ultimate stakes and you can never underestimate how smart any of the candidates are and how smart their teams are and how 
you know, how their supporters are going to do and any, any number of other things. So, um, you know, people do kind of cry for that authenticity. You know, I think that's one of the vague strengths is coming out and, uh, you know, just being himself. Uh, it was one of my strengths in the in the campaign, but it's it's hard to do. You know, you 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 the more you speak, the more you're going to upset somebody if you have opinions. You know what they tell you in the old days, they've gotten better politicians overall, uh, and I think Trump helped move this needle a little bit. But you go back thirty years or more, a lot of politicians wouldn't even tell you their position. They'd ask them, they'd say, "What's your position on abortion?" They say, "Well, you're going to have to." Wait until the vote comes up once I'm in the Senate. You know? <laughs> they and still do this. <laughs> they still do it a little bit, but they get pushed a little bit. There's not a lot of real journalists, so they can get away with it. But it's become a part partisan thing. They like to get clicks and media. So people take opinions for a, a you know, a strategic reason. Uh, but a lot of them, you know, they will avoid and they'll take the, the consultants will tell you, take the minimum uh, you know, make the minimum statement, avoid saying anything. Cause anytime you take a firm stand, you're going to lose half of the people who care about that issue. Yeah. And, uh, and that's a shame, you know, we should have more, more people who just speak their mind and hopefully we're moving m more that way with, with politicians like Vivek. Yeah. With these primaries, it's like, like, you know, I'm getting old enough now to remember many of them, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, I feel like we've been through this so many times where we, go through this, this, you know, regardless of the party, like we go through this phase where we're looking at all the people and all, we're like, oh, this guy's a real standout. This guy's a real standout. Oh, he's got a real shot. And every single time it boils down to who is sort of the, who gets the machine behind them, right? Like who gets mm -hmm. the, it almost makes you feel like we don't really have a say in it, you know, anymore. You know, and and uh, so this one is really interesting because you got Trump, who seemingly has the machine against him, at least mm -hmm. one machine. <laughs> you know, yeah. He's got other machines behind him. Um, and then you, you're looking at like DeSantis, who clearly has some sort of machine behind him, mm -hmm. but it's a much different machine. And the machines are actually getting more mysterious, aren't they? Right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what, what is this machine behind DeSantis? You know, what is this? uh with Vivek too, you know, I mean, look, he's got big pharma ties. I'm sitting here like looking at all this. I'm like, what is exactly, I almost feel like I'm, I'm constantly getting hoodwinked, you know, like I'm looking at this primary. That's why I'm starting to be like, what am I really going to achieve here? You know, by supporting any of these guys, but how did you get, um, like so behind Vivek, like when did this, did you know him from before he started running? No, you know, it was a, it was an interesting process. I had assumed that I was going to be a DeSantis supporter. Uh, you know, once I, so once I ran for office, I'm a libertarian, I've been a libertarian forever and I hadn't been officially registered with the Republican party, you know, basically forever. I had registered as an independent, but when I ran for office, you got to register with the party. So I officially became a Republican and I, you know, joined the party and ran for, for office. And I've kept, I've kept that, uh, I've kept that, um, I've kept that, uh, you, you, you sold know, that your registration. Soul. Hey, what's, what's that, that ringtone, man? What oh, was that? Sorry, that's a, uh, that's a call to prayer. <laughs> um, Are you Muslim? Yes, I am. I had no idea. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, that was, I have a little clock on my wall. <laughs> um, Were you raised Muslim? No, no, I became uh, uh, a few years back uh, over a long period of time. You know, I lived in that 
region. I lived in the Middle East. I've been traveling in the Middle East for over 20 years. So, you know, it was a long process of learning and, uh, uh, you, you know, kind of, you know, just learning over time, a long, long, slow journey for me. I'm a slow learner, I guess. <laughs> so did you, were you Christian? You know, not yes, to get too personal, I, but I, yeah, I'm just curious. I didn't know yeah, you were I was Muslim. Raised, uh, yeah, I was raised Christian. Um, but I was, I was not, you know, there was various times in my life when I've been kind of agnostic and there's, you know, I was, I was a, more of a Unitarian Christian, uh, which is very similar to Muslims. Um, you, you know, the main difference between Muslims and, uh, and, and Christians or non-Unitarian Christians is, is the, how, how, you know, how we look at the Trinity. And, uh, so the, the Unitarian belief is very, very similar to Islam. And then the only other difference is, you know, believing that Muhammad was a prophet who delivered the word of God. You know, that's, that's kind of the, the, um, you know, that's the main, you know, the main belief in Islam. Um, and and so for me that was the main you know that was the main thing you know I, I spent a lot of time saying well it, you know what is this book you know what is this book and is it is it the word of God and there's a lot of special principles and properties of the Quran like for example four million people know how to memorize it you know what other book is there that over a million people including children can memorize the entire thing word for word and I've mm -hmm. met many of them you know any any mosque you go and say you know who who knows the Quran by heart, every single word. And there's going to be somebody in there, especially a bigger mosque. There's going to be many people. Uh, so there's interesting properties of this book. And I spent a lot of time saying, you know, what, you know, what is this? And do I believe it? And is it, is it true? And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I, what I came up with. Was this a, I mean, now that I know that it had to be a factor in the New Hampshire primary, right? I mean, if you're dealing with 79 year old New Hampshire people, you know, and they got this Muslim cypher, cypherpunk running. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was all prepared to. I, I thought it was going to be a big fight. I thought people were going to hate me or something. And mm -hmm. uh, most people either didn't know or didn't care. Okay. I only had a handful of people ask me during the campaign, and I answered truthfully. But it was never really picked up. But I know the opposition research. I know the Democrats know. I think they avoided mentioning it because, you know, Republican Muslims, their worst nightmare. You know, <laughs> it invalidates all their stuff about diversity and everything else. So I think they're kind of terrified about it. They look at it like, oh, my gosh, you know, this, this it's like, you know, a fire to a caveman or something like they don't know what to think. Right. And the Republicans, I mean, what are they going to do? They're not going to attack me over it. You know, that would make them look horrible. So it didn't really become an issue, and I didn't, I didn't make it an issue. I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't um, like, you know, make a big deal about it. Trying to, uh, you know, I, I don't like uh, talking about religion too, too much. Like I, I feel like it's a personal thing, and I don't mm -hmm. like making myself a, uh, you know, oh look at me, I'm the Muslim candidate, I'm the Muslim guy. You know, I prefer to just kind of have people judge me on my other words and not you know, skin color, religion, or gender, or anything. Um, yeah. No, I hear that. It makes sense. But it I mean, is, you it are is you. relevant since it came up. I mean, it is relevant in the world now. I think that there's a lot of... Uh, it's interesting. There's a lot of people turning to faith. Uh, and I like all people of faith. You know, um, Muslims call Christians people of the book and and Jews, you know, mm -hmm. uh, all, all three religions from the same Abrahamic faith. And, uh, you know, I went to the Kaaba in Mecca, and uh, that... A lot of people don't know what the Kaaba is. You know, that's the house of Abraham. It's the same Abraham from the Bible and the Torah. You know, that's that's the same. Uh, it's the same God. You know, they, they, it's definitely the same God that 
all three of the major religions believe in. And, um, you know, Vivek is Hindu and he mentioned, you know, he believes in one God and only one God, which is exactly the same phrase that Muslims use to describe it. So I kind of like people of faith. Uh, I think that the Church of Woke, and I call it that because I think it does behave a lot like a church. I think is an ideal. I think it really is very much like a religion, and it is a religion in many ways. And a lot of people who do not have other religion, and I don't have any problem with atheists and agnostics. I was an, an agnostic for a long time. Um, I called myself an atheist for a while. My brother said, agnostic sounds better. It sounds, sounds more open-minded because you're <laughs> questioning rather than you're sure. Mm -hmm. And so, so I kind of went from atheist to agnostic to sort of very broad believer to, you know, where I am now. Um, but I think that having some kind of faith, and you could even call it Mother Nature if you want, or the Force, you know, from Star Wars, you know, something bigger than yourself. There's something that we don't understand in the world, some bigger force, bigger than ourselves, if you want to call that God or Allah or Mother Nature or fate or karma or whatever, you know, I think there is something bigger than us that we don't understand. And I, I think there is kind of good and good versus evil. And, and uh, you know, more recently in my journey over the last 10 years, I've kind of adopted this idea that there's some sort of intelligent design behind this. I mean, there really is some incredible things. If you look at, you know, we have this moon that moves around our planet and based on how it moves, it sucks up all the water in one area because of gravity and we have tides. And because of tides, we have billions and billions and billions of animals that live because of the tides. Right here on my bay where I live, uh, the low tide, the, the the water goes out and the birds can feed on all of the mussels and animals that are in there. And if we didn't have that, those animals wouldn't exist and the birds wouldn't exist. Uh, and there's all these incredible things in our in our world that's kind of leads me to think of some sort of intelligent design and thinking about these broad issues of good versus evil. You know, you I think there really is evil in the world. And I think that's epitomized by, uh, you know, something like the what I call the church of woke, you know, this ideology that worships the state and, and, uh, you know, anti-family, anti a lot of the value, a lot of the traditional values that most people of faith have. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's all relevant to today. And I, I've noticed a lot of people kind of turning towards faith since to, since the year 2000 or so with the lockdowns and the COVID tyranny or whatever reasons that they had, I think, uh, people are looking at this kind of chaotic, crazy world and saying, you know, what, what did the, what did, people hundreds of years ago people dealt with crazy chaos as well you know there was a lot of people that turned to faith there was i was down at the jamestown uh settlement um where is that is that virginia yeah it must be virginia i was i was i was there as a you know visiting it and they had a they have the the chapel and the you know what they've done and and they um they have this monument to the pastor there and in i think two years like 35 people died out of like 90 you know like a third of everybody died so here's this pastor you think like okay here's this little guy in this tiny 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 little town you know a town of 100 people in the middle of nowhere and basically every single week the guy's doing another funeral every week and i'm like wow what did what did he deal with you know and they turned to faith that's what people did back then you know they were christians they turned to faith. And you've seen that throughout history, you know, people in times of chaos have turned to faith and they've uh, been rewarded for it. And I think there's some universal truths in that, especially when you take the three major big religions, um, Judaism, uh, Islam and Christianity, there are common things. And, and, and you know, I, I remember when I first started learning that living in Saudi Arabia and saying, well, wait a minute. 
I mean, are all these people wrong? There's got to be some truths in this. There's got to be some kind of truths. If 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 all of these three religions, you know, there's got to be some sort of truths in this. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I focused on. Yeah, the the whole woke thing is is basically to me. It looks like people who've replaced God with humans, right? So they think right. that humans are the pre you know the 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 highest level of of uh enlightenment that you can achieve in the universe and clear clearly different from you know the religions you're talking about where you know humans acknowledge or believe that there is a more enlightened um um something out there right that can mm -hmm. guide them or or can you know can sort of um be looked to as as the supreme being so it's it's, a, it's pretty clear to me that you're right that the woke thing is i hesitate to call it a religion but i guess in that regard it's like the religion of of humans right as god you know and like they think that we are it like that that's why i get so uh repelled when people talk about um life extens extension and making people immortal and i hear um Vitalik Buterin talking about like, how can we have humans live till they're 300 years old? And like, I, I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, wait a minute. Humans aren't, aren't all that great. Like, I don't really want them around that long. You know, it's like, there's so many things that can go wrong if you have that happen. You know, it's like, how do you, you know, you, the, the, you'd have even worse situations where people maintain power and these power structures live for millennia. Um, I go a whole different way. I mean, personally, I think that, you know, that, um, <clears throat> that we're just like a coincidence, you know? I mean, I, I think that's where my mind tends to go, you know, is that like, you know, humans, we, we think we're really cool and really smart and really everything, but, um, so do ants, you know, yeah. so, do, <laughs> so, so do other animals and on other planets, you know, if there are organisms and they, they can't think the way we can, you know, it's still everything that we know and see is just like within our context, within our realm of what we're able to, to understand. And we don't know to what level we're able to understand the universe. Right. So it's, I go with that agnostic route too, but I'm, I'm pretty cynical when it comes to a lot of religious stuff and the woke stuff, forget it. I mean, I think they're way off the rails. That's one of the things Vivek has that I really appreciate. Like the messaging on that stuff is right on, like it nails it for me, you know, yeah. as far as that stuff he talks about. Yeah, I think you had you had asked before my, my uh, clock went off on uh, why I ended up supporting him. I had, I had assumed I was going to support DeSantis. You know, I like kind of, I like any of the Republicans. The Republican Party grew on me. I had been kind of, you know, very much libertarian. And like a lot of other libertarians, I was, you know, slightly Republican leaning, but real loyalty to the libertarians and no loyalty to the Democrats. And then, but after kind of becoming a, you know, as a candidate, you have to become an official card carrying Republican, so to speak, you know, and I wanted to have some loyalty to that. I didn't want to just run and then drop right back out of the party, you know, after the election. Um, so I still get invited to the Republican breakfasts and I know that, you know, uh, state chair people and, you know, this kind of thing. And they're very helpful to me as a candidate. And, I, you know, so I do feel some loyalty. And also I got to know a lot of the really good Liberty Republicans, you know, 20 years ago, it was like Thomas Massey and 
that was it. Ron, Ron Paul, maybe. And now, now, but now you have, uh, you know, Warren Davidson and Jim Jordan and and Thomas Massey and Rand Paul and, uh, you know, Ted Cruz to some extent. You know, there is a a solid liberty wing of the you know very powerful in in New Hampshire politics. We dominate the the state legislature, and then in that nationally, it went from a couple people to a couple dozen. And then there's a couple, you know, many dozens more that maybe not libertarians like Massey, but they will lean for it on certain issues like guns or, uh, or whatever. Um, so, so yeah, I, you know, the Republican Party kind of grew on me, particularly the idea of being a liberty Republican, which I think is very distinctly different from, you know, what I might call a McConnell Republican or a McCain Republican. And, uh, so I knew I was going to support somebody. I, I like DeSantis because, as you know, I was a big advocate against the masks in schools. Uh, I went and protested eight times at my school board, got removed by police five times. Right uh, on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and so, you know, DeSantis was was very good on the COVID policy. I think he was one of the better governors. And um, that's why I moved to Florida. Yeah, I mean he's great, and uh, but interestingly, he he hasn't had a perfect campaign up here in New Hampshire. Just wasn't as accessible and everything. And I was skeptical when I first saw Vivek. When I first saw him, I said, "Oh, this is just a you know rich guy, vanity guy. Maybe he's trying to sell books or whatever." Um, you know, I was sort of skeptical. And then I listened to him a few times. All right, this guy's good. He's he's got some anti woke stuff. I like that. That was the first thing that I liked about. It. I said, but this guy's brave. He's able to speak. He's he's a pretty good speaker. And then I saw him more and more. I'm like, wow, he really is quite good. And then then I got to meet him. And the nice thing about New Hampshire, it's pretty easy to meet these candidates. So I've I've met Vivek, you know, ten times now. But after like the the, the first time I saw him in person and met him and shook his hand. Uh, that was, that was, uh, it wasn't like instantly that I was like, okay, this is my guy, but I was definitely on the path. I said, wow, he's really special. And then I, he felt like more of my candidate. And then I'd see him do more and more things. And he, he's just very impressive. And it's very interesting because he's won over a lot of people. You know, you can't like, I'm not an easy person to get the endorsement from, from not that it matters too, too much. It's not like I'm going to win somebody in an election, but I care a lot. I have, I have solid principles. There's certain things I won't, you know, I'd rather go after endorse somebody who has a one percent chance than somebody who has seventy percent. And I'm not the kind of person if somebody says, "Hey, we'll make you ambassador to Saudi if you endorse me," you know, or whatever, which which isn't isn't out of the realm of possibility for some of these major candidates. This is a high stakes game. You know, an an endorsement of somebody in New Hampshire who matters matters. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't care about that stuff. You know, I I care about what's right and wrong. And I I got to know Vivek more, and really truly believe that he is an extraordinary person, uh, partly because of running in for, for office. I see how hard it is to do some of this stuff. He just had this, um, this, uh, activist who identified herself as pansexual who came up and asked him a kind of a gotcha question about, uh, gay marriage or something. And his I have answer, the clip. I wanted yeah, to play the viral. clip. I want yeah. to play it right now because I think it's so good. Yeah, do it. <laughs> I heard it this morning and I was like, this is the best I've heard this guy sound. Like the last yeah. thing I saw of him was him rapping Eminem and I was like, cringe, right? But then it's like, I heard this and I was like, oh, this guy nailed he it He does here. that a lot and I'm glad they've captured some of this on, on video because, you know, I had a couple strengths in my campaign. One of them was exactly that, meeting people face to face just because I have kind of a quick tongue. I was in sales, uh, uh, debates, uh, tough questions from reporters. That that was it. I was kind of like a two-trick pony. Those were my mm -hmm. really, really good skills. And there's a lot of the other things I didn't have great skills on. 
he has those two skills that I have, but way, way, way better. It's extreme. Even my best skill on my best day, I don't think I could have done that. And I don't think, yeah. and I think I'm really good at it, actually. I don't Here. think, and it's Let me it's play it so that people can hear it because it's yeah, really good. I was just wondering, um, what were your opinions on the LGBTQ question? Well, I don't think it's one community. Really? Yeah. I mean, how could it be? Just mashed together in alphabet soup. Trans is fundamentally in tension with gay, if you ask me. But what's your opinion? I am personally a pansexual, so I was okay. just wondering what your views on same-sex couples were. I don't have a negative view of same-sex couples, but I do have a negative view of a tyranny of the minority. So, so I think that in the name of protecting against a tyranny of the majority, and there are times in this country's history where we have had a tyranny of the majority, we have now, in the name of protecting against tyranny of the majority, created a new tyranny of the minority. And I think that that's wrong. I don't think that somebody who's religious should be forced to officiate a wedding that they disagree with. I don't think somebody who is a woman who's worked really hard for her achievements should be forced to compete against a biological man in a swim competition. I don't think that somebody who's a woman that respects her bodily autonomy and dignity should be forced to change clothes in a locker room with a man. That's not freedom, that's oppression. And so I believe that we live in a country where free adults should be free to dress how they want, behave how they want, and that's fine. But you don't oppress, you don't become oppressive by foisting that on others. And that especially includes kids, because kids aren't the same as adults. And so I think adults are free to make whatever choices they want. But do not foist that ideology onto children before children are in a position as adults to make decisions for themselves. And so I think a lot of the frustration in the country, and if I'm being really honest, that I also share, comes from that new culture of oppression where saying those things can actually get somebody punished. And in my case, it's part of why it's my responsibility to say them. And I respect that you may have a different opinion, and that's okay. Part of what makes our country great is that you and I can be civil and have this conversation, and that we live in a country that still gives us, each of us, the right to speak you know, to a presidential candidate and back and still say that we pledge allegiance to the same nation. So I think that's the beauty of our country, and that's my honest opinion. Awesome. Well, Thanks. thank you so very good. much. I appreciate it. Thank you for your civility as well. And he gets the it. handshake, which is yeah. key <laughs> from this pansexual uh, questioner. I don't even, I mean, you know what? It's like you hear pansexual and you're like, oh, she's just a troll. But maybe not. You know, it's like people yeah. are actually out there that have sincere, not everybody who's LGBTQIA plus 2S whatever is a troll like they're right. actually trying to live a life that's productive in america and they want these kinds of answers from people yeah and and that what he did there is a master's class in answering he he was calm he was effective he he didn't take a wishy-washy stance he took real and actually quite controversial opinions but he delivered them in a way that was not offensive even to the opposition a respectful way he he uh, talked about the problems, but he also differentiated between adults and children. And he talked about liberty. He said something that I say many times, which is, I don't have a problem with adults. You know, there, there's a narrative that people say, oh, we, they, we want trans people to not exist, or, you know, we, we want them to die or something like that. Uh, or, or we don't even want them allowed to do what they want to do. I don't think that's a libertarian position at all. Um, I, as a libertarian, I want everybody, I would actually defend someone's rights to uh, dress in a dress if they want to, uh, or identify themselves however they want. Or if you had a an adult business, if you had a bar, let's say, suppose you have a trans-only bar. 
I would absolutely support that business's right to exist. Uh, you know, you can't go to a, I don't think you have the right to go to a trans only bar and say, hey, you must allow non-trans people in. Let them do whatever they want. But but he made a, a key distinction between kids and adults and his answer was just absolutely on point. And you can't, and this is what I mean about seeing him in person. I've seen him do that many, many times. I'm glad this one was caught on tape. I've seen him in person. He has an intelligence level that you can't fake. You cannot do what he just did there by rehearsing it. Maybe you could, maybe a really, really slick, skilled, you know, one of these 90 styles politicians that I mentioned could rehearse that answer and almost deliver it as well. You know, a Gavin Newsom type, but they can't just come up with it like he can. And I, and he, he, he isn't faking. He really is leagues and leagues above uh, the other people in the race, intelligence wise and ability wise. He has actually, he's actually gifted. And I look at the guy sometimes when I'm in the, in the audience, I've gone to a lot of his events and I say, this is somebody I would follow. This 38 year old guy is somebody that I would follow. This is somebody I want as my president. This is somebody who can do amazing things. He is smart he reminds me of the smartest of smart people in our space very and, and both in terms of intelligence but also mannerism you know they like he reminds me of somebody i sit down with at the satoshi roundtable who is is a you know has half a billion dollars and did real successful things in our industry and that's kind of what he is basically he's a self-made very successful technical savvy smart guy you know he was number 25 student in america he went to you know harvard and yale you know he's he's he is actually intelligent and he's and he's got a, a wit and his ability to speak and communicate is right up there with, you know, Ronald Reagan or Obama or Clinton or Milton Friedman, in my opinion. Where does he stand on the whole bodily autonomy, medical tyranny stuff? Has he been public about that? Yeah, I mean, he's answered pretty much every kind of question. You know, he got... Um, he, he was in the pharma business, but he was sort of anti-big pharma. You know, one of his big issues was trying to get faster approvals on drugs and, and working around the FDA system. Uh, he Sounds is, like Trump with the yeah, vaccine. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, well, Operation Warp Speed. You're right. Um, yeah, you know, he, I would say he's like 70% libertarian. He's not, or, or 80, maybe. He's certainly libertarian-leaning. Uh, he's probably one of the most libertarian of mainstream candidates. You know, we just haven't had, he's probably very similar to Rand Paul, actually. Rand Paul is not the same as Ron Paul. I'm a fan of all of them. Um, and, you know, but he's not like the, the you know, 100% everything libertarian. He comes from more of a, um, you know, constitutional conservative kind of school as well, you know, which is great. You know, the constitution was a very good document. And he, and he also has a lot of, uh, things driven by his legal knowledge. You know, he went to law school and he is a student of the constitution who really cares about this. And he's done something that nobody's done in decades, which is actually think what powers the president has and how can you push this limit and how can you do these things under the rules? So I think overall he wants to not have a big heavy, he certainly wants to cut government by over 75%, cut all the agencies, shutter some of the agencies, including the FDA and the FBI and severely reform things like the F, uh, SEC. And I think that would be a huge start. And, you know, that that uh, works to, you know, get these people out of our lives and our our bedrooms and our wallets and, and, and against this kind of, uh, you know, mandated, you know, tyranny of the, uh, you know, telling people to wear masks and take experimental injections and this kind of thing. Yeah. 
I saw he made billions in in big pharma, and it was just right away. I I didn't d- dive in to learn everything, but to me, it was like flashing red light, like oh, something's going on here. But it makes me feel bad. I need to do more research on that. He's but talked re- a lot about uh, his. He was more like little pharma who became big. He wasn't like Pfizer guy. You know, he he had his own startup basically that ended up doing extraordinarily well, kind of bucking the system. So it's so you know sometimes you know me well enough to know how funny this is. But sometimes people will see that I'm SEC registered. They're like, oh look at this guy. He's SEC registered. What could he possibly know? <laughs> yeah. You know, they assume I'm some sort of status just because of the 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 things. Somebody said uh, on my bio, it said, you know, has operated broker dealers for uh, 30 years. And they say, oh, that, how could that be a positive? It's like, well, you've got to judge each person individually. He was under the system of the FDA, but he was very much at odds with these. You know, he, he was no friend of Pfizer. You know, he was an he was an opponent of these guys and he disliked the um, heavy handed bureaucracy, very similar to our SEC. I was in a uh, a call with him and some industry people not long ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's talked a lot about the the similarities between the SEC and the FDA. You have opaque rules that only the, you know, in for SEC, it's BlackRock and Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan. For the FDA, it's, you know, Pfizer and, uh, you know, the other big players. Um, you know, it's a it's a crony system with opaque rules, very hard for somebody to compete, very unfair, not doing its job in protecting Americans, and it's rewarding cronies. So you see that a lot in these agencies, and I think he'd be the right person to cut it. And he has a real plan. You know, he's actually talked about his plan to actually cut this stuff. Okay, but here's the real question. Does he have a chance? I mean, you got this guy, pretty unknown, 30-something, Hindu, which is not a non-factor, right? As sad as it is, like people do care. Um, he has these fringe views, which are still fringe, even though you and I share them. He's uh, he's just non-conventional. Does he have a chance? Like if, if he doesn't have a chance, what is he really doing and why support him? He does have a chance. It is an unusual election. There's a lot of unusual factors. The Trump factor is very unusual. Um there's some chance. Well, for one thing, you 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 if you're suppose you're a Republican, to have a Plan B for Trump makes sense. You know, Trump is in his 70s. He's got significant legal problems. He may be barred from running. There could be other things that prevent him from even being able to take office. The weight of all these different cases and you know any number of different factors. And I hope that doesn't happen. I, I think if if that was to happen, then we need him more than ever because it'll be one of our only hopes to to um, you know save the republic from you know, we would be on the verge of civil war. If they if they put Trump in a prison cell or say that he legally can't run, I think we'll have to have somebody like Vivek because he's, you know, we would need, it'd be the only way you could unify. You know, the only way to like placate the Trump fans would be to have somebody who uh, has a lot of similar uh, similarity to Trump, who hasn't criticized Trump, who has been a supporter of Trump as, as he has. Uh, and it's not just about placating people. It's just about what's right and wrong. It's extremely wrong for um, America to have this kind of political targeting of, of the main, you know, front runner. So that is, you know, that is a real factor. The other thing is it's, although Trump is way, way, way ahead in the polls, that doesn't mean it's going to translate into the, you know, uh, you know, in the, in the ballot for the primary, you know, you, you, you have to win New Hampshire and Iowa 
Um, especially if you're Trump, you know, if you're Trump and somehow you get an upset, then all of a sudden, you know, the gig's up. Um, historically, in a lot of these primaries, the person who was the absolute presumptive nominee and front runner at this stage before the first primary, uh, you know, way before the first primary, those people end up losing a lot. You know, you had, uh, um, you know, Mario Cuomo and, and John Edwards and Gary Hart and, uh, you know, the history is littered with Republicans Jeb and Bush. Democrats. Even Ron Paul was a front runner. <laughs> Jeb, yeah, Jeb Bush. Perfect example. You know, like yeah. he, he had it made. And what happens is you don't want to underestimate the, the significance of these people like DeSantis and attacking Trump. Uh, tr Trump has uh, not been attacked much by his own people it's easy you know his his supporters are going to support him if he gets attacked by the wokes big deal they don't care but when you have somebody credible who's sort of one of their own who's saying hey wait a minute you didn't do uh you know you didn't drain the swamp you kept Fauci. you didn't fire Fauci. you did operation warp speed uh these kind of things those are harder and trump has made some blunders like so far i don't think he's ever properly addressed the Fauci thing he said Oh, you know, they're going to complain if I do and complain if I don't. And he just sort of changed the subject. I don't think that's su su sufficient enough to win the presidency. You do need to earn everyone's votes. Votes are fickle. Even people who like him who are waving a Trump flag, you know, he could be one bad answer from losing that person as a supporter. And meanwhile, you have somebody like Vivek where he's gaining momentum. This is a great place to be at this point in the race. You know, as he gains momentum, if he can make a strong showing at these uh, debates, which is coming up in a, a couple weeks. And then, uh, you know, it really comes down to, you know, uh, New Hampshire and Iowa. If he can, you know, he could do second place even in New Hampshire would be a huge victory. And then it, and then people start saying, oh, which one do you like better, this one or this one? It becomes kind of a two-man race. And that would bode well for him. And then also, if he, if he does that, then people say, okay, I, I like both these guys. Uh, who has the better chance of beating Joe Biden or beating whoever the Democrat nominee is? I think everybody, even Trump's biggest fans, and one of the reasons that I'm not, uh, you know, I'll support Trump if he gets the nomination, but one reason I'm not like a diehard cheerleader for Trump is just, he's just so polarizing. I don't want to go through another four years of orange man bad, everybody complaining about, and then he said this, you know, right. and just twisting his quotes all out. He said to inject bleach. He said Nazi, neo-Nazis are fine people, both of which are fake. He didn't say either of those things, you know, and they'll just spend four years, you know, digging out every, I, I remember the last four years, it was just never ending nonsense. You know, every day was, was you know, feigned, uh, you know, being horrified at like, you know, he, he said, he said schools shouldn't have books, you know, or some crazy thing that he didn't even right. say. It gives him too much ammo, right? It yeah, gives him he's, too much to he's fight He's so back, hated right? that people can't think straight. Personally, as an American, I'd like our country to move on. And I think Vivek is the best one to do that. And I, and also I want to win. The last thing I want, you know, I'll take any of them over Biden or Gavin Newsom or, or Kamala or whoever, whatever clown they put in there. I mean, anybody's better than them. So I want the person who's going to win and have the, have the best chance of winning. If Vivek can show through his extraordinary campaigning skill, and it really is, he really is formidable. He's running an incredible campaign. It, and you see his personal ability to speak and connect is, is like no one else. If he can show that he he's a real contender that can change the narrative and then the trump fans even some of the trump fans can say yes uh this is a guy who can 
win the you know win the nomination and he can win the presidency yeah. uh, because he'd clean he'd clean up i mean imagine imagine biden answering that clip that you just played you know biden could never ever do that he's not capable of doing it even on his what would he days. say it would start with come on man come on man <laughs> come on man give me a break look at my record and i like ice cream that's a stupid yeah. question yeah <laughs> i mean even you know he was he used to be quick of wit if you look at him in the 80s but he was yeah. a real jerk yeah i mean he was you know i have oh, I a little know. bit of an one of the things i respect about vivek versus my campaign style i have a little bit of an edge i'm a little bit more like a ted cruz or a marjorie taylor green i can understand if people don't love me all the time i'm not always warm and cuddly mm. vivek is much more likable biden on the other hand he's worse than any of he's he's <laughs> in, in, in his day you look back to him um i mean look at the famous clip where the guy the guy said something about his education and biden really arrogantly rattled off all this stuff that turned out to all be nonsense. Like, who do you think you're talking to? I was number one in my <laughs> law school at Rhodes Scholar, and I went to Cambridge, and I was fourth in my class at Cambridge. All nonsense. He completely just made up the stuff. He yeah. was fr- he was a politician from an era before cameras, where you could get away with just saying complete and total nonsense and not get called on it. And then cameras came along, and Biden, this was early. Biden wasn't used to it. This was like, I, I think, in the late 80s or something when he was running for office before. He just spewed all this nonsense, but he was a real jerk, even his best days. Uh, Vivek is not a jerk at all. You know, I could I could see that, you know, the, the kind of Ted Cruz politician style that I have, you know, can be uh, polarizing and ruffling. But Vivek has that kind of Milton Friedman-esque quality of being able to say controversial things in a very calm and dis- disarming way. It's hard to hate vivek and that's that's not insignificant i don't really want a president that yeah you, you know you look a third back, or half the country hates you look <laughs> look who's been winning lately though jerks like you right. know <laughs> i mean you know trump biden i mean obama wasn't a jerk i guess he was more in that category of, of uh well-spoken and calm <laughs> you know yeah. um but at sure. some point things change that's that's what makes me wonder like is uh does a nice guy really have a shot at this point you know i mean DeSantis mm-hmm. is more of i'd say he's more of a jerk right i mean he's right. he's kind of borderline like he kind of i mean but he definitely comes off like he you know he's not like i wouldn't particularly want to hang around with him a lot i think he'd be a good leader but it's like you know i mean he doesn't seem like he'd be like the most fun guy like so then that's why i see vivek out there doing eminem and i'm like well is this really a winning strategy anymore these days do people really want this and um, well he's both he's he's really likable but he also has substance so he has like a hard edge reminds me a lot of we were talking about religion a lot of religious people that i know they are very soft-spoken and kind and calm it's kind of kind of goes with the territory i mean it, it, it you'd be an unusual religious leader if you're out there dropping the f-bomb and calling everybody a-holes you know so a lot of them are very calm but they but they a lot of them have an inner inner strength you know they and i feel like vivek has that you know he's very calm and nice but he's not a pushover he's not a guy who's just yeah i mean even 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 with me as controversial as i am there's certain things where i'll just kind of you know i i get these questions during the campaign and i would just kind of def- diffuse it or or change the subject he doesn't do that he doesn't back down he'll say a very controversial thing unapologetically right to someone's face so i yeah. think it's a unique combo i think he you want to separate the the charisma 
and the speaking skills, which he has, which are just like Obama and Clinton, who are both, you know, not good people, um, but they had good skills. So hopefully you get somebody who has good skills, who's also a good person, who also has a strong liberty streak and a strong constitutional streak, and his ideas are good. Because Obama, great speaker, bad ideas, and bad, and really bad implementation, and bad, you know, he, he, was, he wasn't grounded, and, you know, his overall philosophy was broken. But he was a great speaker. Yeah. So hopefully I think we get somebody who's a good speaker who's also a good person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think the most important thing for me, because I would love to see somebody with his principles win. I would love it. I would just, you know, it would be great to have President Vivek. But I'm so jaded after all these decades on this planet observing this nonsense system that we have. I, I Right now, I believe that if he won the nomination, he wouldn't have a chance to win the election. And so what I would love, Vivek, if you're listening to this, I would love it if you could convince people like me that you actually have a shot against, you know, whether it's a Biden or a Newsom or whoever the hell surfaces. I don't think it'll be Kamala, but whatever. Anyhow, right. because the left is so... They don't care. They defend Joe Biden, even though he lies, he's old, he's senile. Like, they don't care. They're not defending yeah. the person. They're defending... They, they feel like they're on the defense against the right, right? Uh -huh. So it's like they'll vote for anybody that's in that spot. It could be Donald freaking Duck, and they're going to vote for Donald yep. Duck. So it's like, how can a Vivek, who's a young, unknown Hindu guy, possibly overcome that with, like, the middle-of-the-road, you know, women of America who basically decide these elections? Like, that's what I would love to... If I could get there, then I could totally full-on support and right now i think desantis has a way better shot of winning like a general election than vivek but you think i think i think yeah. he's got more broad appeal he's got the appeal with the youth he's harder to attack which diffuses a lot of the democrat energy um he talks about he i think he can win over it's interesting you know the the, the moms and the women do do decide uh elections to a good degree uh and the old old men too those are those mm -hmm. are your big voters uh women and old men um and uh but i think he can reach you know he, he, he can get kind of the trump people but i think he can independence is where it's ultimately decided and i think the way he's he's the right person at the right time in talking about some of these culture war trans issues and things like that because you you the way that he answered that uh, woman in the clip that you mentioned, you'll notice he talked about a couple things from a compassionate standpoint, like, hey, wh what about a woman who's worked hard, who doesn't want to compete against a man in her sport? That is a way that you can win over. Now, that person was a specific activist far away from Vivek. I don't know if he won that woman over, but he certainly diffused her. And I think that she's not representative of the average voter either. She's a, probably a far left voter. But the regular independents who, who thought that they were jumping into this trans thing because they're trying to help human rights or help women or whatever, I think he can address that in a very calm way and be like, no, actually, that's not the case. And by the way, you're wrong on Ukraine as well. And you're wrong on this and this and this. And I think he can communicate in a way that people respect. And maybe even if they don't agree, they can say, okay, this is somebody that I can respect as a person and I sort of trust them. And, uh, you know, it's a way for our country to move forward. I mean, if he were to run against Biden, I mean, can you imagine? Biden wouldn't even be able to do a debate. It would be such a contrast to see this young, energetic guy who can think on his feet, 
who's a brilliant genius versus this old doddering guy whose best days are 40 years ago and even in his best days was never one-tenth the, the guy that Vivek is. He's never yeah. never been as smart, never been as quick, never been as likable. Um, and I don't think they're going to let Biden run, which is just a we should prepare ourselves now, you know, for yet another gaslighting. They're going to throw somebody else in last minute and the Democrats are going to act like this person was there all the time. And they're going to totally forgive and forget that the party has gaslighted them for four years, pretending that this doddering fool is coherent or capable. And we all know he's not. We all know he's incompetent and they know it, too. Uh, but they're going along with the lie and they're going to pretend like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, he was he was a wonderful president, but, you know, whatever for health reasons or if he dies or whatever oh now we've got this other guy newsome but newsome is kind of like you know he's a he's a times are changing it there will be millennial a millennial president and eventually a gen z president um vivek is the first one of this profile to run as a millennial you know first millennial to run but he's not going to be the last 100 certain a millennial will win because the 80 year olds the mcconnell's and the pelosi's they're, they're, they just statistically cannot be around much longer five or ten years max uh or maybe now maybe one year you know maybe now is the time to switch but it will switch and the young people will vote more and I'm optimistic. America's had a lot of problems in history, you know, 1968, 1932, you know, various years where we, you know, we almost elected communists. Uh, we, you know, we had total civil rights uh, co collapse and a war and, and assassination of, of prominent people in 68. And we came out of it. And I'm hoping that the pendulum swings the other way and we can come out of this you know, come out of this mess on the other side. Uh, and this would be the perfect person to do that. So anything can happen in these kind of crazy times of chaos, a fourth turning. So he, you know, he certainly could do it. And I'm, I'm cautiously Would love optimistic. to see it, man. This is Would why we cool? have to be anti-life extension too, because who, who wants Nancy Pelosi living another hundred years? I mean, come on, let's oh, be yeah. honest. That would be the worst yeah, thing for she's America. She's not in office, especially, but yeah, I mean, we, we, we got to switch it up and, you know, it's up to us as a, as a country, you know, why not? We have to do it at some point. And, and this is exactly what we need. It really enthuses me. You know, some of his speeches give, bring tears to my eyes when he talks about, you know, just something as simple as cutting 75% of all the off, just go in and just slash everybody by 75%. And that sounds radical, but that brings us back to like second term Obama. <laughs> You know, that's not, yeah. it's not like the thing, you know, it's not like we didn't have big government under Obama. You know, it's not like he's trying to, you know, cut us back to 1913 or something. Um, it'd be interesting to see how many people were in the federal government in 1913 as a percentage. Uh, but, you know, we have, we have millions of people uh, working for government now and, and we could, we could definitely cut 75% and most Americans would never, wouldn't not only not notice anything bad, they'd notice something good. You're speaking my language, baby. Oh, I hope I hope we can get there. I hope we can. Well, sure. I'll be keeping an eye on Vivek for sure. I, thanks for filling in the gaps for me. Like I learned a lot just from you. Just awesome. you know, getting some more context. It, it's if you don't take the time to dig in on these things, it's like you never really, really get there. Especially on candidates like him. So yeah, everybody should take the time because the yeah. thing is, you know, like I mentioned. They know all everything about who votes, and the sad thing is, most people don't vote, and they don't, and they especially don't vote in primaries. So you have this in New Hampshire; it's this small number of seventy-nine-year-olds on average who who vote in the primaries. They get to decide, and we know exactly who they are. There's thirty thousand of them that are like the super likelies, and those people they they count like 
eight times more than a normal citizen. And that's a shame because every citizen who is, you know, 17 and a half years old or above, you know, who's going to be 18 by the election, they should uh, they should all be active in this. You know, if there's the old saying, you know, if you if you don't pay attention to politics, it doesn't matter. Politics is still going to pay attention to you. This yeah. stuff affects everybody's life. And we all owe it to ourselves, not just to our country or to our neighbors, but we owe it to ourselves to just do our small part, look into the candidates, give them a couple bucks, uh, you know, be a volunteer, spread the word and, you know, make a bet on somebody. Right. And, In uh, other words, I, wake up, Americans. <laughs> Stop being such complacent sheep and yes. just doing what the, the media tells you, you to do. It. You know, yeah. talk to all the people from uh, from Russia and Cuba and places like that. Don't get don't get to a point where you regret it. Because if you don't get it together soon, smart people like me and Bruce are going to get the hell out of here. I'm going to tell you to, you know, solve your own problems. We're going to go live on an <laughs> island somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, thanks for jumping on. I appreciate it. It's always great talking yeah. to you. Thank you. Absolutely, man. You have a good one.